Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. What does it take to excel as a female leader in a male-dominated environment? The following conversation is about so much more than the secrets of success of women in finance. It's about overcoming life adversities and major obstacles and creating the best version of yourself along the way. And it is about elevating others by focusing on diversity and inclusion. My guest, Kimberly Evans, is an executive vice president at Northern Trust and Alternative Fund Services. She's the North America head of private capital fund services, where assets under her administration have grown by 82% since her appointment in 2018. Prior to this role, she led the governmental, sovereign wealth, and Taft-Hartley Union pension and treasury business in the U.S., Central, and South America, with over $880 billion U.S. dollars in assets under custody. Kimberly currently also serves as the president of the Women in Leadership Business Resource Council at Northern Trust, whose mission is to engage and empower women in the workplace. With over 25 years of experience, Kim is a business transformation expert. Kim has developed, led, and executed business and change strategies for five financial services organizations, managed teams in six countries, and has implemented technical and organizational programs that have impacted over 27,000 financial services professionals throughout her career. She's also owned and operated businesses as an independent consultant and as a franchise owner. Kim's core expertise includes creating and executing business strategy, developing and maximizing talent, and ultimately driving change and transformation to make organizations competitive, effective, and efficient. In 2020, Kimberly was named one of the leading women in hedge funds, and in 2019, she was named a Chicago United 2019 Business Leader of Color and was also recognized as a leader in philanthropy by the University of Chicago. I'm Ariana Summer, and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically, and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting-edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. I am so excited you're my guest today and I am so really revved up to pick your brain because you are a leading female in the world of finance, which is a realm that for me is something I'm always eager to learn more about. Thank you so much for being a guest on Superhumanized today. Thank you for having me, Ariana. It is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. A question that has really been burning in my mind is, what does it take to become a successful female leader in the still highly competitive and often male-dominated financial services industry? 
I think that is a great question, and I'm going to answer it probably a little bit differently than most people would expect. So the first thing I'm going to say is around what does it take to be a great leader in the financial services industry in this day and time are really composed of three attributes or three factors for leadership. One, in financial services, the landscape around technology today is evolving and changing fast. It's so rapid that literally you could have implemented something last year and this year it's already out of date. So the aptitude for technology enhancement and to be following and studying trends ahead of when they're actually going to be implemented is paramount to be able to lead in the financial services industry today. The other thing is that there are so many new entrants um, into the financial services space that having the wherewithal to understand the markets, the wherewithal to understand how new clients and client bases are being formed. Think about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, digitalized assets was not a thing. It was a thing. It was emerging then. But now, like actually having to have digital brokers, digital banks, etc. So just how we even think about clients and how we think about services is changing. Again, the bedrock of that being technology, but there's also the big the people components on it. And then I would say the the third piece around just leading in the industry is understanding where we are with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how that's going to play a role long-term in our success. And I would say our success, collective success as a financial services industry, because as you mentioned in the opening of the question, it's been dominated by white males. And that's, everybody knows that, right? So our success in the future for driving performance for our institutions, our financial institutions, has to include diversity, equity, and inclusion as as key parts of the strategy to move the the organizations forward and then to really serve uh, the populations in which we live and work. So for leadership, period, you've got to have those three things and you've got to be able to manage and navigate in those spaces And if you're a woman, and if you are a person of color, you also have to be extremely resilient around those changes, how you might be perceived, how you think about solutions, and how you actually contribute to the advancement of financial services sector, financial services, products and technology, et cetera. So you you have to be, we have to be more visible and showing and, and showing evidence of our contributions and the way we think and how that diversity of thought, that diversity of experience is actually going to add value. So that's my view. There are the things that you need from a pure leadership perspective. And then if you're a woman or if you're a person of color, I would say just get busy showing the value right away. Am I naive naive enough to believe that's all it takes? No, 
I know that there are hurdles and that there are barriers that we will face, but I am also suggesting that having the confidence to know that your experience, your diverse thought and perspectives will create value, just be busy (laughs) doing that. I am suggesting that organizations and leaders around the world from companies that, you know, we, I know well and people that I know well, it's pretty hard to resist the value once you see it is those concepts or preconceived notions about what exists and what doesn't. Once you see the value, it's pretty hard to walk away from it. Yes. And seeing the value, you also mentioned something in what you just shared with us, the making your contributions, the evidence of your contributions seen. I think that's also a crucial part and maybe more for women than men. I think men are still very used to pointing out their achievements, their contribution, whereas often, not always, but often women are more, they will like to hold back more, sometimes to our detriment. Is that something you also observe within the culture you work in? Absolutely. And it's something, Ariana, I still fight with myself about today. I recall the first time I heard in my career, developing a career and always wanting to lead and always having the propensity to lead and lead through change and difficult circumstances. I recall the first time I heard, Kim, we didn't know that you were doing X or we didn't know that you had achieved X. And I thought to myself, how could you not know? We're all sitting around the table and somebody had to give this part of the contribution. Where did you think it came from? A little bit of a flippant mindset thinking, why did you not know? And what what occurred to me is, and I just got off of a call talking about this too. What occurred to me is we leave it for other people to connect the dots around what we've done and what we've achieved. And so it's not boasting, it's not being arrogant when you help others connect the dots around where you've been, what you've achieved, and not even so much from the perspective of what you've done, but really being able to talk about the value from the perspective of the whole system. Here's where I serve, but here's the people that I'm focused on helping. Here's how my clients experience what we brought to the table. So not allowing others to narrate that and you narrating, you telling the narrative for your story, for your achievement, for your experiences and connecting the dots very intentionally for others. Because if we just leave it for others to do that, they one might not connect the dots at all. And then you're at square one, like Kim, we didn't know. But two, if they connect the dots and they connect the wrong dots, Mm. there might actually be harm done. So it is really more about, I used to think it was about being arrogant and boastful. And I just never wanted to come across Mm -hmm. to others. But now really fully understanding it's not about that at all. It's really about connecting the dots and helping people see, more importantly, Ariana, how someone can actually leverage my skills and experience to add value to what they're doing. 
I don't talk about it, if I don't narrate that, I'm going to leave it up for chance for somebody else to maybe figure that out when really all I want to do is to be helpful and all I want to do is to add value, but I can't leave it to chance for others to figure that out. Maybe we can say just in all candor, maybe that's the way I trick myself into telling my story and being able to talk about my achievements or my team's achievements or to be able to talk about my experiences. Maybe that's the way I trick myself into doing it. But at the end of the day, we have to do it. And as you stated, women and people of color are less likely to uh, do that in a very forward way versus our male counterparts and perhaps you know, white male counterparts. Yes, that is really a profound and enlightening advice uh, for women entrepreneurs, for people of color, for anyone really who has not learned to actually just voice who they are and what they contribute. And I found I find you framed it so beautiful, beautifully. It is about serving. It's also about standing for who you are and what you achieved. And it's also about not dimming your light. I find so often we are used to dimming our light either out of fear of failure or out of fear of making others uncomfortable. And when we dim our lights, though, we send a signal out to the rest of the world that is an acceptable behavior. Whereas when we shine, We also give others permission to shine and everybody can benefit from that. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree with how you're framing that, Ariana, because um, I think I did for many years sit in a space where it was like, I don't really want to be the one to shine a light or to put a light on anything that I've done because maybe somebody else is struggling or maybe the team isn't ready yet. And I was actually trying to make these decisions on behalf of other people. Have you ever really truly been able to get in someone else's head? No. Just the idea of if you're shining and you're around people who also want to shine, the best thing you could do is shine. To give them permission to do it and actually perhaps even show them how. But what I realized is, yeah, all the same questions, doubts, considerations I'm having in my own head about, do I tell the story? Do I not tell the story? Do I give or do I hold back? Others are actually processing the same things. And so somebody takes that step forward. It takes that leap forward. Sean tells the story. It is liberating, not just for yourself, it is liberating for everybody else around you. And that has perhaps been the most overwhelming part of my experience in terms of others showing gratitude towards me for what I have faced in my career and how I've overcome. Not that it's the only way to do it, but the fact that people will come up after hearing a story or hearing some challenges and hearing how we overcame them or how I positioned things for success, hearing people come up and say, oh my gosh, like I now know what I need to do versus perhaps not doing it because again, I'll go back to not wanting to be arrogant, not wanting to showcase something in particular. Yeah, you when you shine, you give everybody around you the permission, and more importantly, you teach them how to do it if they were struggling with that. 
Yes. And we're also sharing that we're not alone. The struggles that we have, hey, you're not alone. We are actually going through similar things. Or even if it's not similar things, it's okay to acknowledge we're struggling. But here we found a solution for ourselves and maybe it may inspire you as well. How did you actually get started in business, Kimberly? So this this is a funny part of my story and my journey because to most people who were I guess alongside me in the journey, didn't really understand it. And others certainly on the outside looking in had no clue what was happening. So I I studied um, chemical engineering mm-hmm. in college and I decided I did not, I worked for, I worked in the field of chemical engineering as an intern, rotated through all of the different parts of a chemical engineer's career and decided that's not what I wanted to do. So my last year of college, my last year, I just, I maxed out and I did the psychology program because what was missing from that chemical engineering experience was my affinity towards understanding human behavior and and how people make decisions and all of that. And so what I was able to do or think about in terms of all of the analytical things that I had learned and just the natural tendency I had for math and for science but also couple that with my curiosity around people and human behavior and how people made decisions and how organizations worked. Putting that together, I said, oh, I think I want to work in financial services. Or at the time, we, we weren't saying financial services. We were saying banking. Mm-hmm. I want to work in banking because I want to understand, okay, all of this analytical stuff. How do you make financial decisions? How um, do people work together? And ultimately, like, how, where's this wealth stuff coming from? Like, how do people generate all this money? And then what do banks do with it? Like, it really spawned from just curiosity. There were things that I didn't know growing up in a modest, very humble beginnings. And and moderate to low income area, Chicago. And there were just things I didn't know. And so I thought, I want to understand it. I want to figure it out. And I didn't know I would have a long-term career in banking or financial services, but I just knew that I needed to figure it out. I needed to understand it. And that's what drove me to it. And I got started at the base level of, of, of at the time, a very well-known bank in the in the Chicago area for commercial banking and just got started in operations and technology and just continued to learn all everything that I could learn for every job that I had. And I was moving at a clip of about every nine to 12 months, getting promotions and moving on to other areas to learn different things. So now I can say after 25 plus years in financial services, I've pretty much worked in all disciplines across the field and have had exposure to all different types of clients and all different types of functions within banking. And what led me to all of that each time was just this general curiosity of, okay, how does that work? So that's how it happens, Ariana. I love it. And I I share that deep sense of curiosity about life with you. I just want to know how, why, who. (laughs) You just touched upon it. You grew up in a uh, difficult neighborhood. And uh, when I researched you, I also uh, saw that you said that part of your secret sauce is that you grew up reading situations and reading people 
because it could absolutely mean danger for you or your family. And you said that this level of street sense really became a tool in business now when walking into rooms full of people who you don't know. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I think this has probably been one of the most surprising statements that I've made over the past couple of years. But it's a, just a different way of trying to bring forward my experience and what makes me different growing up in a predominantly, you know, Black neighborhood, low to moderate um, income neighborhood and having to develop other skills and experiences just to get through life and how you can apply that in business. And when I talk about navigating the room and it is a part of the secret sauce or part of the superpower that I think I have now is going to school every day was about reading five minutes ahead of me, 10 minutes ahead of me, what was gonna happen when we got to school based on what happened in the news last night or in the community the night before and really just anticipating how I was going to navigate that and how I was going to help my brother, my friends, everybody else navigate that. And so it was really more about just being practiced at trying to be a few steps ahead. Do you always get it right? Absolutely not. But because I was intentionally focused on it, I could actually navigate situations or more importantly, and in, in, when we're talking about the context of danger, get out of situations or exit situations before the bad thing happened. And so bringing that or translating that into the business environment meant very much the same thing. Again, I talked about academic background and engineering, right? What does that have to do with finance? I don't, I, I think I took one finance course in college and so for me, it was about, there was a lot that I don't know. There was a, there's going to be more information shared, more people in the room always than I will have had prior knowledge of. And so it's not going to be comfortable for people to just reach out to me because I don't have the experience. I don't have the expertise. And so that training of be studied, understand a little bit before you go into the room, who's going to be in the room, how you're going to navigate the room. It was really more about preparation than anything else and just teaching myself to develop habits around being prepared for entering certain situations. And then throughout my career, I've just been able to leverage that now even at senior levels of just understanding what are the power structures when, you know, when they're, when someone is trying to buy our services, right? Or what is the power structure or the personal needs of people when they're trying to make key decisions and navigating those spaces through preparation. Mm -hmm. um, so now sometimes I'll say my gut feel has caught up to the science of being prepared and studying and I can get a read really again it's not always a hundred percent but being practiced about it for all these years has definitely helped me navigate spaces where I have to say danger growing up was like physical body danger and we're not talking about that in the business sense but in the business world danger of getting connections to the wrong things or the wrong people or mm -hmm. danger in going too fast, making decisions too fast or 
perhaps being too slow, or even worse, we talk about for women having to manage this, you got to be liked and you got to be assertive at the same time. And How do you manage that so that you don't end up on a derailed path, right? And so I think that's been a part of how I've been able to navigate the space is just getting practice at being prepared and studying as much as you can. Now, there are always surprises when you get to the room. There's always something that you didn't know. But if I study as much as I possibly can about the components that I will know about, then when I get the surprise, I can focus my attention on the surprise and bring that into the equation. But yeah, that's what I mean. Like that's how it's translated into the business environment. Fantastic. Clearly your life has been informed by so many different influences and all of them make you the leader that you are today. And I love what you said about the practice of preparing. Are there certain tools, things that you actually employ every time in order to prepare that you could share? Most of, so the one consistent thing that I do when I'm preparing for big meetings or conversations, podcasts, interviews is take a look at where I've been in that situation before, what felt good to me, understand what feels good, what you know works well, and then really have an honest look at what didn't feel good, what didn't work and make sure you're prepared not to repeat that. I actually, there's the there's preparation that happens before the meeting. There is the meeting or the interview or the podcast, whatever it is. And then there's the preparation after the meeting. I know it sounds weird when I say preparation after the meeting, but the preparation after the meeting is to take that experience and spin it again and say, you're going to have another one of these opportunities. Now, what are you going to do to sharpen yourself and to get better for the next time? What can you investigate? What can you research? What can you add to your toolkit that's going to help you the next time just based off of last experience? So that is consistent preparation for anything that I do, whether it's a business meeting, a sales meeting, an interview, that consistent across the board. Excellent. And I love what you just shared about the preparation after the event. That makes total sense. And it does prepare you for the next. I did delve into, and of course, it's you're you're dealing with uh, uncertainty. Every new situation, there's a certain uncertainty. You can't prepare for everything. You said that before. And with regards of speaking about uncertainty, and currently we're collectively going through extremely uncertain times we have for the last year and a half. And I want to talk about investing. So how can the average investor prosper and still protect herself, himself in these types of uncertain times? How can we navigate the financial landscape today to create long-term wealth? Absolutely. So I would say my first disclaimer is is that I'm not a certified investment professional. So anything I say here is purely my personal view on investments and has nothing to do with what I'm telling others to do. But 
also say it is my view on investments is also couched in abundant bodies of, you know, publicly available information around diversification and looking at things differently. The first thing is investing is, I think about investing in a lot of different ways. Yes, there's the monetary aspects of it, the financial aspects of it, which ultimately is where we want the return to come to us. But you also have to think about investments in terms of how are you spending time learning about what you should invest in, right? Mm -hmm. Before you're actually putting your money somewhere or listening to somebody tell you where to put your money, like how much do you know about that specific topic? And I would encourage everyone first, and because of social media and because of really the internet, which is just crazy to even be talking about that right now, but because there is so much information available to the novice in this space, you could become really uh, well-educated in the matter of a couple of hours on any particular subject, just because of the amount of information that's available. So the first part of investing is investing in your own education about what it is, whatever it is you're looking to do. The next part of investing is understanding all investments is a risk reward proposition. All investments are risk reward proposition. There are no guarantees in any of it, right? So you really do have to understand what's your personal risk profile. So times I know people will sit back and say, shoot, I should have invested in Amazon when they went public long time ago and I would be a millionaire right now. Guess what? If you actually didn't have the money or you couldn't afford to lose the money, it wasn't a sure thing that Amazon, of course, we all will tell you what was the perfect investment strategy looking back, but you don't know if it's actually, so it's really important to understand the risk reward proposition and what is your personal risk profile. And so think about that today from the perspective of we're living in uncertain times, markets have been volatile and we don't know what's ahead you have to control for what you can control for. So if you are five years from retirement, it might be enticing to go after this newest strategy, this newest opportunity. But if you want to retire in five years and you want to have some confidence that your money will uh, outlive you versus you your money, you probably have to be a little bit more reserved. And you have to think about that in terms of your runway or the potential amount of time it's going to take for your investment to produce a return. If you are 25 years from retirement, of course, you can afford to be a little bit more aggressive with what your strategies are. You can take some chances on some new things that maybe the person who's five years or one year away from retirement wouldn't necessarily. Or understanding the investment strategy itself and the assets underneath. So I'm in the private equity business, right? I'm in that space where it's not a lot of public knowledge about the, the, the different strategies and a lot of public information about the assets themselves. So if you were to invest in a real estate fund, which 
typically is going to take a longer term, be a longer term in order to produce the return. Can you have your money, your investment dollars tied up for that period of time before it produces? So I think about it more and not so much what to invest in. It's about the education process. It's about understanding the risk profile and my personal risk profile. And then how long do I want to have my money tied up before it produces the return? And for me, that is the way I can calm my own and my family's anxieties around volatility when you see it and should I get upset or should I get worried about what's happening and where I have my investments? No, because I made decisions based on my own understanding, my own you know, personal risk uh, profile and how long I need before it produces a return. So I don't have to feel quite anxious when... Mm-hmm happens because I've already factored that into my decisions. Yes, that is sage advice for confidence and peace of mind and also sustainable long-term success. Um, In another interview, you said yesterday success actually means nothing today. Can you talk a little bit about that mindset and also how you stay motivated to get better each day? Are there any specific things you do to achieve that mindset every day? And I would say, Ariana, yesterday's success means nothing today, except for it gives you some added confidence, Mm -hmm. maybe the courage to address today. So when I think about having made that, that statement, and have talked about that in the past, it's more from the perspective of I'm not going to continue to read my own headlines or I refuse to allow yesterday's success block today's success or tomorrow's success is really the frame that I had around that. But I have actually had to explain that a little bit because it's not like I am dismissing anything that has been achieved because if I do that, I will discredit the people who helped me along the way, and I never want to do that. It's really more of, you, you ask the question about what, what keeps you going, what, what motivated to do it over and over again. It's really to not get big headed about <laughs> what happened in the past and just know that there is still so much more to be done. There is so much more to be achieved. And if I am too high on what already happened, then I'm going to miss some opportunities today. And then I'm going to miss the opportunity to see something down the road. And more importantly, above and beyond all of it, I encounter people all the time, whether it is in my family, friend structure, whether it's in the work environment, or if I'm out publicly speaking, et cetera, I encounter people all the time who need help, want help, are willing to ask for help. And so if I rest on what has happened in the past, then I'm probably not inclined to keep pushing, not just for myself and my family, but to keep pushing for others who need a platform, who need support, who need help. That's another way for me. Like I am incredibly motivated 
by just my own curiosity. Well, how do you do it? What's next? How do we do that? How do we make that work? And creating win-win situations for as many people as possible. But I am also passionate about, especially at this stage of my career, having been in financial services for 27 years, I've probably got fewer years to work than I have already worked, but just making sure that I am helping as many people as I possibly can. And so whether that is in the professional arena, in terms of helping people achieve levels of success, not compared to mine, but compared to what they want their own success profile to be, or whether it's in the communities in, in which like I've lived and I've worked or have friends and family that need help for their community. So I'm also very, very passionate about doing that. And at the end of the day, Ariana, I just want every single day to count. I do not want to have a single day go by and have it not count for something. And mm -hmm. comes from, I don't know if I've always been as articulate or been able to crystallize that as well. Then after a major car accident I was in in 2014, where it could have claimed my life and I recovered. And at a part, the recovery process was so difficult and so gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching, everything you can imagine. But to be able to recover and come on the other side of that, I was always ambitious. I always had a drive. I was always curious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it was amplified after that experience, knowing that it could have been over. And so after that, it was like, no, you. every day is a real gift and you got to it count to the highest degree that you can. And some days, Ariana, what that means making it count is actually restoration and making sure that I am resting so that I can do something for someone else or for my company or for my team, etc. So some days, those days of making it count is focused on me, to be blunt about it. But it's whatever you're deciding to do in that day making that day count for that reason, I think is, is what keeps me going. And of course, resilience, you just mentioned your car accidents. Resilience is a major part of your story of your career. And it sounds to me uh, like this car accident that you faced was really also a very big challenge. Uh, can you share with us how you overcame that? The biggest part of overcoming the challenges that I faced after that car accident was being able to ask for help or first acknowledge that I needed help, that I could not do it by myself. And I know that sounds weird because nobody does anything by themselves. But I was, again, if you think about my upbringing, if you think about my starting life circumstances, it was... Everything I'm trying to achieve, perhaps in my circle, nobody had ever done it before. And so if it was going to get done, I had to go and do it. And yes, it has required help for many people the whole time. But there was an element of my, you know, how I solve problems. There was an element of I just got to get it done. I got to figure it out. After the accident, there was no me just figuring it out because what happened was I, I suffered all the bumps and bruises that you would imagine for a car accident. But the, the most severe part of my injuries was a concussion, a really bad concussion that led into post-concussion syndrome, 
where me just figuring it out, my I was I didn't have a clear thought in my head. I could not figure it. Literally, I can't read a page and understand it. And I remember telling the doctor, "You don't understand what I'm experiencing." I used to be smart. I actually said that. I said, "I'm not smart anymore. I can't read something and come up with an answer." So it was the acknowledgement that I needed help, the ability to ask for help, and the humility to accept the help. And if anybody is ever going to be resilient, from my perspective now, where I sit in life after all my experiences, you have to acknowledge when you need help. You have to accept it, be able to ask, and then you have to be able to accept the help. And I think that is that has built the the latter half of my resilient story when I couldn't do things for myself, just allowing others to to be there. And I think about it now too. Someone said to me during that time, Kim, think about all the people that you help and how wonderful you feel that you can do that. You're cheating others from their ability to do that for you. Never considered that before, Ariana. Never. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm cheating other people. Yes. Never want to cheat other people. <laughs> you know? yeah. so. because, because if you want to give and if you like giving, you also need to realize that the other side of that coin is receiving. So you Absolutely. also need to be okay with receiving and allowing others to give. Yes. Yes. And so the resilience really was to be able to resilience at the heart of it is to be able to bounce back and be able to reinvent yourself in the middle of a set of circumstances that seem impossible. Boy, did I need help to do that and accepting all the help from all the different places that it was coming from and to now just make that a practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ask for help and include people in things because I know that in and of itself is a gift yes I love that you talk about it in terms of making it a practice that's a beautiful thing yeah so resilience is part of success in life and in business and with regards to 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 business to career something that often holds us back is this idea of it needs to be the perfect time so in your mind is there a perfect time and how can we overcome this fear that's tied to that and get going it, it's what you just said ariana get going <laughs> No perfect time. And I, I think about how much time earlier in my career I wasted on waiting for the perfect time. The time is always now. And I think it's just compatible with my idea of make every day count. If I get an opportunity to spend some time with someone today when they really need, I might have to move some meetings or I, I might have to shift some things around. But it, would it be better for me to say, you know what, now is actually not the right time. We, we can't do this right now. I will talk to you in about a week when I actually have an opening on my calendar. And I'm saying this from the perspective of it could be clients, it could be executives, it could be mentees, it could be anybody. But if I said the right time is sometime in the future, 
I actually know that time in the future is not guaranteed. There mm-hmm. is no right time, no perfect time. The time actually now. The other thing that I think goes along with that is that when people are saying, I've got to wait for the right time or it's not quite right now, they're thinking about in an overwhelming and get overwhelmed about all the things that have to happen. Mm-hmm. My mindset says, no, you got to break it down into bite-sized pieces. And so maybe you can't do the whole thing right now. Maybe you can't imagine the whole thing right now. But could you imagine this piece, getting this piece done right now? Could you imagine just taking that one step? And so, again, I trick myself into moving forward by breaking things down into uh, bite-sized pieces where I can actually digest it and still make progress and and not get overwhelmed. But yeah, yeah, perfect. These bite-sized pieces also, they make it psychologically so much easier to handle with something that otherwise seems like it's, oh my God, insurmountable. And it also gives our brain these experiences of success. One bite at a time, we get the dopamine, we feel good about ourselves, we achieved it. It's a really great way of tricking ourselves into actually taking on quite substantial challenges. And your job actually is full of challenges it requires a lot of strength focus courage and being able to rebound and also to run meetings and make decisions in a way that keeps everybody's self-esteem intact how did you navigate learn to navigate these types of situations all these different egos that are of course part of a team and and lead a team to success and how do you personally deal with normal human reactions that we all sometimes may have like anger or frustration that won't help to solve the problem. So how do you deal with that? What's your secret sauce for that? My secret sauce for that, Ariana, has become more of trying not to attach uh, intentions, someone else's intentions to what they said, how they behaved, et cetera, et cetera. Because we are just generally not good judges of intention. We, I don't have any facts or evidence really to put intentions in the way. And I would say the intentions is usually what gets us in, in trouble. So if I feel incredibly frustrated, and yes, it does happen, frustrated or angry by something someone has said or done, and even in the course of a meeting where we have to make a decision or we have to make progress and there's a sense of urgency And there is that opportunity for me to misjudge something or read intentions wrong. And then it's going to throw me off course. Like others may not actually suffer any consequence. But if I allow those emotions in that moment to throw me off, like that's on me. So what I have done and how I think about this now is, Don't read any intentions into what was said or done. Really try to come back to facts and come back to objective thoughts and ideas so that those can be shaped going forward to make decisions. I will often talk about how me being the woman in the room or the only person of color in the room, sometimes just people aren't prepared for me to be the one that's making the final decision. It it is what it is. Mm -hmm. If I can take from the practices that I talked about earlier, which is 
including people in the process and making sure that everybody's voice is heard. We may not be able to act on everybody's voice, but making sure that everybody's voice is heard, even if it is a differing opinion, we heard you. We're going to have to put a pin in that for now because it we can't figure out how to make that a part of it. But we heard you mm-hmm. and we're going to revisit this. And that's how I, that's how I actually believe, like you, you're building relationships in everything that you do. And this idea, you never do anything by yourself. Nothing. I have one accomplishment that was just me, all me, like nothing. I actually mm-hmm. nothing that I could say was just all me. And because of that, I understand that, yeah, leaving people intact, even if they, even if, they didn't want you to be the one, it's okay. I'm supposed to leave them intact because there is probably going to be a time where I might need them. Or I'm going to be the one in the room where I'm the one that's disagreeing and they're going to need to treat me with care. And so all of this is reciprocal. And I only want to put out what I want ultimately to get back. And so even if somebody is is not treating me well, I still believe that there's an opportunity for that to happen in the future. I can't afford to react poorly just because they perhaps aren't enlightened or aren't, and we still have to move forward. Yes, that is great, great leadership advice, Kimberly. And there's one thing I'd like to circle back in the very beginning when you talked about leadership as well and the three things in your mind that are really important to be a good leader. You also talked about anticipating what is going to happen years down the road. And at present, what are the current global trends that could have a huge impact on our investment decisions. Can you give us a clue? Here's something that's really big. And I I think most people that might be listening to this may have already be keen to follow it. But the pandemic obviously pointed out how connected and interconnected everything is. The ESG evolution or revolution, if you will, around environmental, social governance impacts in the way we invest not just personally, but as institutions, as political systems, the way we invest has a role in what we act, how we actually live. And it doesn't matter if you're at the low end of the social economic part of it, or if you're at the higher end, the pandemic showed that there is an impact and an interconnectedness for it all. And climate matters, where we put our social capital and how we spend dollars for our communities, all of that really matters. So I would say ESG is the big thing to watch, not just on the superficial level, but making sure that we understand in our investments, in all of the different facets and ways that we can invest what are the underlying advantages and disadvantages and who's ultimately benefiting or not benefiting. Mm -hmm. There's a role. We're all playing a role in that, whether we educated about it or not, we're all playing a role in that. So I would say ESG is the space to watch for sure. Outstanding, Kimberly. And also it's my own belief too. Like you said, everything is connected and we can be conscious capitalist co-creators 
of our shared future and help make it a better future for all of us. I'm Absolutely. very optimistic in that sense. And Kimberly, there's a question I ask each guest here. You already shared one of them with us, one of your practices. What are some practices or a practice that have profoundly positively affected your life, your mind, your spirit, your body? Can you share another one with us, please? Absolutely. So this one is my favorite one to share because it was also an epiphany after the accident. Through my recovery, it got to be pretty tough. And so there was a couple of times where I thought, oh my gosh, like how, the post-concussion headaches were so bad. I thought like, how do you live like this? I can't live like this. And my mom said to me, and she didn't fight with me on this day. She wasn't trying to push me or encourage me or anything like that. She just said, okay, let's just get through today. And let's just get through today meant so much because it was like, look, it, getting through today is actually okay. That's what we can control. Let's do it. And so I developed three things that I do every day since then, which is how I just get through today. So I have to do something for myself every day. Little thing. It could be a little thing, but I have to do something for myself every day. I have to do something for somebody else every day. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be big. And then I have to do something like check something off of a list that said completed. And I have to do that every day. And so if I do those things every day, those three simple things every day, I can go to bed at night and sleep well, even though there's tons of things I may not have gotten to. I do those three things. Let's just get through today. I'm okay and I'm ready for the next day. I love that. And you can cross off the doing something for someone else on your list today because you gave me such great advice with that. You did something really <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> oh, Kimberly, where somebody who would like to learn more about you, connect with you, where can they do? Absolutely. You could follow me on LinkedIn and it's just Kimberly Evans, I'm, I'm not, I, I should have had the, the whole thing, but you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can find me in the thought leadership section and website on Northern Trust, the company that I work for and privileged to um, be a partner at. And yeah, LinkedIn and, and Northern Trust are easy ways to find me. Outstanding. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Kimberly, it's been such a pleasure, such a delight to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your experience out of your long and accomplished career leadership, but also the humanity, the lessons you learned. It was pure joy. It was a pleasure to share with you, Ariana, and I've really enjoyed it. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.